In Titus 2, older women are commanded to teach what is good so they can help younger women love their husbands and children. On today's show, you'll hear from older women who will share timeless, relevant biblical wisdom and personal, profound life experiences to help answer your questions and teach what God says is good so you can be the wife and mother you were created to be. Welcome to another episode of Older Women Likewise. Good evening and welcome to Older Women Likewise. We are so glad to have you with us this evening. Laurie Moyer is with us tonight and she's going to talk about feminism, the same but different. We'll be answering your comments or questions and comments that we will be looking online at them. And uh, so we really hope that you will, those of you that are viewing, will be making comments or asking some questions that we can either consider on this program or maybe at a later date. Uh, Cindy, how are you this evening? I'm good. I'm so glad you didn't ask me what city I'm in. I have no idea. I know that I'm in the state of Florida. I know I'm out in the boonies. So when and if my uh, internet vanishes, you'll all know why. Welcome, Laurie. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. Um, tonight, I'd like to talk for a bit about the concept of feminism. And this is one of those terms that uh, has a very wide range of meaning. Either you're going to have an instant liking for it, probably having to do a lot with your age group, or you're going to have a backlash against it. Uh, and I, what I'd like to do is give us a framework for understanding you could have such different concepts of what feminism is. Um, at its most big women, oh yeah, I'm a feminist. I want to empower women. I want them to, to succeed. Uh, I want to see good things out of the women around me. And that is an admirable goal. The problem is, if you were alive during the 70s and you were socially aware at least, I mean, I was alive, but I didn't see a whole lot of newscasts at that time, you probably saw a lot of sound bites from things that the feminist movement was doing at that time that it left a very, very sour image in a lot of people's minds. Uh, so what I'd like to do is define some of these differences and find out at its root, do we really know that many feminists today and what would be wrong with it if someone was? So starting at the beginning of that question, uh, feminism, yes, is the promotion of women in general, but how far you're willing to take that concept depends a great deal on what brand of feminism you actually uh, espouse. There uh, have been, as I said in the 70s, a lot of protesters who were very loud and angry, and there was a lot of bra burning going on at that time. It was just an aggressive way that comes as a result of what we would often term secular feminism. Uh, there was a, is 
a conservative evangelical writer named Jack Cottrell, and he did a couple books in the 70s on feminism. And he came up with four different basic types, and his first was a secular feminist. This is someone who believes in promoting women without any religious standing background at all to speak of. Uh, they started uh, loosely with the suffragettes movement, votes for women. Uh, they turned into many of the uh, <clears throat> many of the different. I, I you, they became the. Uh, They became the largest promoters of Planned Parenthood, which is, I think, where we identify them the strongest. Uh, part of the eugenics support movement, but the National Organization for Women basically was the umbrella that they fell under. Uh, after, after that group, you could send believers, and we Jack Cottrell calls those goddess feminists. They believe in Gaia, Mother Earth. You have the modern day Wiccans and Druids that are part of that group, and even today, still, you have a lot of environmentalists, more of the aggressive environmentalists that come from goddess feminism. Uh, it's not about believing in the God that we know of from the Bible but that there is a spiritual concept behind the earth and everything that goes on. And it's a feminine, it's a female entity. After that, uh, you can identify liberal critical feminists. And just like the uh, analysis of biblical text uh, group that are known by that name, they tend to believe that there is a loose inspiration to the Bible, but it is something that uh, is not really what we would uh, refer to as inspiration per se. It's not the verbal plenary form of inspiration that we're accustomed to talking about. It's more of a God caused certain people to have these ideas and then they chose the words they used and they were the people in power at that time. And according to the liberal critical feminist, they were actually the ones who filtered any of that information through their own male-centered society. And so you could see how it would come up with a slant in the end. Well, the least aggressive of all of these different forms of feminist, feminists were the biblical feminists. And they believe in the inspiration of the Bible, that God gave the words that are in there but they kind of hearken back a little bit to liberal critical method by saying this was done at a time that reflected still its culture and with the people in charge of the different religious interpretation uh, being men, they have pushed uh, an interpretation of these passages that actually uh, causes women to be shortchanged, that they're not true, full equals with men only because of the interpretation we put on these passages. And what I like to say is <clears throat> that's really not fair in dealing with what the Bible says. And so if we can go into that, that question, I think that's what's going to give us the best foundation uh, of what we just, all of that. 
very logical, uh, good sounding uh, goals. But the feminists also go into the Amazonian style of women are really better than men and really should be in charge and controlling everything. And so where on that scale you fall uh, is really the question. So if you're talking to someone who professes to be a feminist, please don't assume that they are the most aggressive form of all of it. Have that conversation, talk about God and who he is and our respect that we need to have for the word of God and how he being as powerfully as he is, is able to give us a word that will stand over time. It's the Hebrews 4.12 concept of living, powerful, and active. That doesn't change either. And so that's what we want to respect. But often when we talk about the way the Bible addresses women, some women have their tackled up to begin with because they see the Bible saying that women shouldn't do certain things and that bothers them. Well, you know what? The Bible apologized for that, but I'm really not going to. I think the reason that feminists are so strongly opposed to it is that they think, honestly think, men and women are exactly the same as each other. We were born the same, same clean slate. The only reason you have men acting this way and women in a different way is because of the conditioning they've had over their lifetime. Girls are taught to like dolls. Boys are taught to like cars. And that is simply not true. There is a level of identity that is born into both men and women. That's what I'd like to get at tonight. If you have any questions about whether or not there's more to that, I highly recommend that you check out a book uh, by Anne Moore, M-O-I-R, <laughs> and David Jessel. It's called Brain Sex. It's not X-rated. It's just talking about the fact that our brains have a sex bent to them from the time that we're born. Certain things typical of little boys, newborn in a nursery, certain things typical of little girls in that same situation and point of development. And it's not something we just force on them, although we can encourage one way or the other to be sure, but it is not the clean slate that many feminists would like us to think. Men and women, that is the foundation for an agreement on this topic. So first thing I want to say very clearly from the start is that the Bible does not devalue women. It uh, puts men in a position of leadership and gives them certain jobs to do that it never gives to women. But the Bible is always highly complimentary of women. Women in the Old Testament and the New were both prophetesses. So they had an ability, a message given to them by God that they were expected to relay, to relay to people within their own sphere to the best of their ability, uh, not just at large. But we also have uh, wise counselors who were women, Old and New Testament, who were sought for advice, women who were capable. Jesus taught women just as he taught men. He healed them. He knew they were capable of understanding his 
message. And so he gave it to them. He delivered it to them. The next time you read through uh, the Gospels and the book of Acts, let your radar be up a bit and notice the number of times that it talks about men and women doing something or that they were baptized, both men and women. That phrase is used quite a bit in Acts. Uh, even that they were both men and women arrested, imprisoned because of their belief in the gospel. So even in that day, there was a great deal of regard for women, uh, probably more than we give them credit for sometimes. It's a little easier to uh, demonize someone if you can accuse them of being grossly unfair. Uh, so maybe that's why that gets highlighted in the cultural uh, concept, but no, Women have always been valued, uh, just like the Psalms talk about obeying the instruction of your mother, not just the instruction of your father. So, yes, God validates women. Does that mean that he has to give them all the same jobs? No, it doesn't, because everybody he created has a specific job to accomplish. When we look then, and further into the New Testament, we can see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, specifically says that there is no slave and free and Christian. We are equally valuable to God. God does not love men more than he does women. Uh, he even tells men to be kind and caring and to try to understand women there in 1 Peter 3. So it's a value these women scenario, not a downgraded status. The beginning then of the question of how men and women can be the same starts in Genesis 1. And this is one of those verses that used to puzzle me for a long time until I started looking at it again from a language question. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and we all know this. God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God created man, and then it explains what man is by saying male and female he created them. The word man in the Bible is not necessary necessarily a gender exclusive term. It is the same word that we use when we talk about mankind. It's not just about a male gender. It's just saying people at large. Now, there are times, of course, when it says man and it means a male person. And that's easily understood by looking at the context of what's being talked about. But when you go to the Bible and it just gives a general statement, all men, like say, for instance, Acts chapter 17, verse 30, God overlooked the times of ignorance, but commands now all men everywhere to repent. It's not just talking to men there. Women need to repent too. It's saying everyone, all of mankind. So if you have a... Uh, 
English Standard Version or an NIV or one of those, it's just going to insert the words instead of all men everywhere. It's just going to say all people everywhere, which is fair because that is what the word means. The word is the word man. And quite honestly, I'd rather we got a better handle on what the word means than just changing the words because there's another Greek word for people if it really meant to say people. And sometimes it just means general people, image of God figures. So <clears throat> all of mankind can be addressed. And in those senses, men and women are the same. They're the same value to God. They are the same. But at the same time, they're not the same. They're different. And common sense pretty much gets us to that point on our own. Um, when we talk about our physical bodies, yes, we have universal blood types and we can make donations to each other. Uh, we can do that with organs too. Although you transplant plant an organ from a female into a male, there's going to be some residual hormones there that still have to work their way through in the uh, conditioning healing process afterwards. So there's something going on there, but they can be useful to both bodies. So that's the same. But when it comes to the most important organ in your body, you're not the same. That would be not the heart. I know that's our first inclination to say. It's actually your brain. Your brain is the most vital organ you raise everything about you your decision-making process is all housed in your brain the woman's brain <clears throat> is different from a man's brain and I think a lot of guys have already figured this one out there is actually a membrane that separates the two hemispheres of your brain um, the SC membrane and in a woman that membrane is thinner than in a man uh, a woman has more fat in her brain and that's not a bad thing it's a good thing it helps part of the processing of information. Uh, one of the reasons why it's so dangerous for parents to put their young children on a low fat diet is that their brains are still growing and developing and they need that fat in order to work their processes and have them develop as they should. But with a woman's brain having a little bit more flat, a little bit more lubrication to access things and that membrane that separates those two hemispheres being thinner she is going to find information in her brain to solve problems in a very different way than her male counterpart does. She's going to go from one corner of her brain to another and then back again. Is all those little crevices, things that remind her of something else way over here that might be more obscure, but it's going to be part of her decision-making process. She is more broad-based when it comes to solving problems. The man, on the other hand, he is more linear, linear in structure when he solves issues. He's going to go front to back within his brain solving problems. It's kind of like he's standing at a chest of drawers. He has this one drawer open. He's working in there to find something. And you come along and ask him a question about something that is not in that drawer. He has to shut that drawer all the way, 
They'll open a different drawer in order to pull out information in order to process and answer your question. Well, that's very natural for him. A woman, though, has a tendency, and this is why she multitasks so well, to pull from all these different areas and then put them together whenever she's solving her problems. So she has what some people call more of a spaghetti brain because she's winding around between all these areas. So this connectome map that you see on of a male and a female. Man's brain images are on the top with the blue lines. Woman's are below with the orange lines. Every one of those dots, those colored dots, is in exactly the same location in the brain on all four of those pictures. One's from the side, one's on top of the male, and the same with the female. And you can clearly see the blue lines, which measure the thought from one spot to the next spot to the next spot in uh, solving a problem. The blue lines in the male brain, straight front to back. This is very analytical, straightforward. It's a mathematical equation. And then in the lower pictures with the orange lines, this woman's brain is going from one side to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other, in order to gather information. Now, these two people were asked the very same question. And this is how they're processing that question in order to come to a resolution. So no, at its most basic level, men and women do not think alike. Not just their brains are different. They don't even think alike. So you take their processing that is different, and then you pour into both of those brains. And sometimes, yeah, you're talking about the same hormones present in male and female. Sometimes they are, but they are vastly different amounts. So the way one thinks versus the other is going to be even exponentially greater. And that is what more research, researchers have become familiar with. You don't hear about this very often. It's not a popular topic because it emphasizes the differences that we have instead of the fact that we're all exactly alike. And I'm thinking there's a reason for that. But even in terms of uh, surveys that have been given, psychiatric surveys have been done. There was one that was done in the 2000s, early 2000s that uh, was reported on in 09. And they found that the questions asked men and women, they were given a statement and asked to evaluate on a scale of one to five or sometimes on a scale of one to 10, how much do you agree with this particular statement? The answers given by the men in those surveys to women patients and went outside of it because everyone is an individual. But in terms of general tendencies, yes, very strong variation. And we're not just talking about someone that went to their, you know, I don't know, 10 closest friends and asked them a few random questions. We're talking about a survey of 400 questions given to over 10,000 different people. And these are the results. So yes, there is a strong statistical verification for the fact that men and women 
are not the same. We know this on a common sense level. Advertisers know this very well. If an advertiser is putting together a campaign for women, something that's marketed to women, they're going to phrase everything in a very different way than if they're trying to get a man to buy their product. Even something as universal and unisex as the Lego bricks. For the longest time, it was all primary colors, right? <laughs> That's what everybody would enjoy playing with. But you know what? After a while, they did start coming out with girl-friendly colored bricks, didn't they? an appeal factor to try to get more <laughs> my kids always played with legos and i used to think oh here's a toy that they all three two boys and one girl enjoy playing with see they're just the same but then you start examining how they're playing the boys are building things and tearing them down and fighting with each other and doing the boy thing and the girl was over here building a church building with little rows and people were coming to worship it's just a whole different approach even with the same exact tool that is what we have found in clinical research. So, yes, we're the same, but we're not exactly the same. Uh, men have faster reflexes than women do. Women are more emotive. Uh, they show the feelings that they have much more easily than men do. I know that's a shocker. But really, uh, that is partly why not only do they show what they're thinking, they clue into other people's emotions faster and more strongly. And so a woman can tell by observation sometimes what another person is feeling or thinking. It's that whole vibe they give off. Sometimes it's subliminal clues, not just what they say, but their micro expressions and things like that. Yeah, that is a woman's high point right there. And it's not, it's not things that even click with them half of the time. So women are better at learning second languages. They're better at caregiving for young children who do not yet learn language in order to communicate what it is they're thinking. Uh, there's just a basic difference between the two of them. But men are very, very strong in analysis. And stop and think about that for a minute. If you have a business partner and you want your business to succeed, you want decisions to be made that are defensible, that are logical in the sense that you can go back and trace how you came up with that solution. And that's what men do so very, very well. A woman can come up with a solution that's outside the box, literally, and it can work really well. And she's going to be a little bit more concerned with the emotional elements involved, not just her own emotions, being happy with the resolution, but other people's emotions, she takes those things more heavily into consideration when she's trying to solve a problem than the guys do. That's just two of those differences that they have. So if we go back again then to Genesis 1 and the question of creation, he didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. They are not two the same to compete with each other. They are, these are two very different individuals who will complement each other. When each one is paying attention to the other and values the other, you end up having solutions that benefit the whole group better than anyone by themselves would. 
And maybe that's part of why it wasn't good for man to be alone. Who knows? Maybe it was part of it. So if we have men and women with some very discernible differences between them, then we're at a basic level here where the feminists have not come to. They're not thinking we're different, so maybe what we do should be different. Instead, they're looking at the things that men have done in the past and said, it's not right that we haven't been allowed to do that. And there's this little bit of attitude that tends to go along with it. But anything that more feminists promote and want to do, it's because they're comparing themselves, just not even a, a clear playing field. Women don't need to compare themselves to men in order to mark their success. We talk about empower empowerment. Uh, women need to look at what they can do and use that ability to the best that they can, not because it makes them better than men, because it makes them a functional, good, integral part to the different units that they are a part of, whether it's your family itself or your church family, if you're not married, you are still an incredibly important element to the function of that group as a whole when you use the abilities that God has given you. And that's what I would like to encourage. Do we have to do the same activities in order to prove that we're equal? No, not at all. And that is one of the things that 1 Corinthians 12 does a very strong job of showing us. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 27, talks about how we have a body, just like our physical bodies, the church is a body. And that body has many different parts and every what it's like to be a hand to what it's like to be a foot because they are totally separate functions. And no one of them is so important that you don't need the other. And that's what Paul is telling us that the church is like. And I would say by extension, that's exactly what our societies are like in terms of male and female put together, especially our families. So being the person in charge, that's not what's important. Being the spokesperson even, that's not what's important. What's important is doing what I can to uphold everybody else within the group. And women are so good at that. They are natural nurturers. Not only do they care about other people, their feelings and how successful they are, they are very good at helping them down that road. And, and that's what we need to follow up on. We really and honestly do. So, yes, we think differently. And I think we see some of that in the question of Eve, even in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. You remember that event, don't you? Genesis chapter, don't eat for this particular tree. That fruit is off limits. Eve knew that, but Satan came to them and said, well, there are all these other factors that maybe you haven't considered yet. And Eve took that information and allowed it to overshadow what she already knew. Very clearly, God had said. She second guessed the directions of God 
based on her own reasoning. This was not just an impulsive decision. It was not just an emotional one. There were three different reasons she gave for thinking it was okay to go ahead and eat that fruit. Uh, it looks good. It's good for food. It's going to make me wise. This was a logical process for her, but you know, she was failing in her logic because she was overlooking the fact that God had already said not to do it. So just because we think we've come up with a good, fair reason for doing something, we cannot allow that to overshadow our knowledge of what God has told us to do. That is the part we need to hold on to because that is the part that is going to matter so much more in the versus having some very brilliant idea that you think is going to work. So when you consider something like Romans 12, Romans talks also about this many parts to the body issue and says each one of these parts is crucial and it needs to be something that you do to the best of your ability to support the church. Uh, but if you look back to the beginning of that chapter, Romans 12 verse 2 talks about not being conformed to the world. Verse 3 talks about being humble, not having an overinflated impression of yourself. That's where we need to be cautious. We don't need to try to do what the world is doing in terms of being a feminist or promoting feminism as a philosophy. Not a lot of college students that have thought this is what I am until they got in the middle of groups of people who were true feminists and they realized, no, no, that's, that's not me after all. I'm backing away from this one. Uh, and I, I would just like to say, if this is an owl moment in terms of being an older woman and having that past exposure, there are so many pitfalls and baggage that I will not call myself one. It doesn't matter how much I want to see my fellow sisters in Christ succeed. That's not what I'm calling myself because I'm in danger of having those connotations attached to me at the same time. And I don't want to do that. I would rather be known as someone who is submissive to God and respectful of his authority. So when he says, uh, like in 1 Corinthians 14, women are not to be speakers in the church that women are to remain silent. It is a shame for a woman to speak in church. It doesn't matter if that makes total uh, reasonable sense to me. That is a clear statement. When 1 Timothy 2 says that man is the head, that woman is not to try to teach over a man or usurp his authority, it doesn't matter if I think, well, that doesn't quite sound fair. The problem is not the fairness. The problem is my understanding of why God would say that. And if I am humble enough to say, I'm going to think about this a little bit more and see if I can find the reason God states it this way. Are there benefits to me? then I'm being the person filling the role that God has made for me. I'm being the person who's going to really glorify God in that big picture. Does that seem to track with you girls? Does that make sense?
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well stated, Lori Moyer. I love that you brought science in, you brought history in, you brought us through all kinds of scriptures inspired by a God who has created a universe where nature flows because it obeys the laws. Nature, nature is predictable and productive and gorgeous because it follows his laws. He's omniscient or not. So three cheers, three cheers. And I'm writing a follow-up about top 10 reasons why I reject militant feminism. So we'll just all the rest of my comments there but i just want to say wow and thank you i love you sister well i appreciate that but i, I don't assume everybody agrees with me oh are you kidding i no. would say if anyone wants to talk about this further i mean not that we have time to go into stuff uh email me email me anything you, you want to say i will take it and we can talk about it in a, at gmail Good for you. Mm -hmm. It was a wonderful presentation, and I, I really liked seeing the brain part. That was really interesting to me, um, because you know we know we think differently, but to see it out on a map like that is interesting. It was very good. Thank you very much. So you're welcome. We appreciate it. Um, we uh, next week we will have uh, Cindy's good friend. Uh, Janice McDonald, who's going to be on, and she and Cindy are going to be talking about food addiction. Uh, so we are looking forward to, to that conversation as well next uh, Thursday evening. Uh, that'll be December the 17th. And don't forget as well to like us and follow us and share this video uh, with your friends on Facebook and uh, remind people to watch it. We know a number of our viewers watch it after the program has been live, and, and we really appreciate that. Don't forget Tuesday uh, evenings to watch uh, Answering Religious Error at 8 o'clock, and then on Wednesdays at noon to watch uh, their question and answer show that the guys put on. Real good information, well received. So thank you all so much for being with us. Thank you again, Laurie, so much. It has been such a pleasure and joy to be with you. Wonderful for me. Thanks.